If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah, blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. So who who knows the answer may may say it. I don't know. Yeah. But the evidence and the indications are clearly pointing to uh, a trait to build with enormous blocks and less gravity and larger beings. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We got a great show coming out with Mario Buildreps, I think from Italy or something. He was over in Europe someplace when we talked to him. I was another one of those shows we had to do on a Sunday morning, but it turned out to be fantastic. We got into like the growing earth stuff and maybe crustal displacement, and we're talking about the megalithic structures and cramming it all into one fantastic episode. I was pretty impressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's. It, it's really interesting how we find out about him after his work has pretty much culminated into his website and all that. Like, I feel like he's at the tail end of his work, but he has a... He had a whole team around him, and I'll read the bio later uh, before we finish up this lazy ramblings in this intro. But yeah, really interesting how they kind of lined up uh, all the megalithic sites with these poles, and they ended up sort of coming up with five different directions, five poles from all these megalithic sites, and they've got a database on it and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's just cool to to come up to come out. To realize there's another person doing all this research that we haven't really talked to yet and come coming to some very interesting conclusions, you know, through a different, totally different avenue. Yeah, totally. That was a fun show. Quite impressed with uh, Mr. Mr. Mario. So did we say we're going to have him on again? I can't remember. Uh, I don't think so. We should dig back into that stuff a little bit. It's fun. Maybe we should do some Egypt shows before we go to Egypt, though. Oh yeah, for sure. That well, I'm is trying to. Up I, fast. I've been. I've had somebody lined up, but I'm not uh, hearing back from them now about the Egyptian Book of the Dead and all that. So, yeah, that is coming up fast. It's like three months away. Checking out Egypt. Of course, so in the UK for the day and night. Uh, on the night of the tenth, I believe November tenth. Or I'll, at least you'll probably end up at the same flight as me, I'm assuming, or close to. I'm in town all day on the 10th, and I don't leave until the evening of the 11th. So we don't know exactly what we're going to do yet, but we're going to do something. I got uh, our buddy over there, Graham Gainsford, is going to have a car rented and take the time off work so that he can uh, be my chauffeur, I guess, in a sense, and my driver, since I don't know what the fuck I'm doing on the wrong side of the road in the roundabouts. And I don't want to learn in one day and I don't want to think about it. So, uh, he's going to deal with that. We haven't, we don't have a plan yet, but we're going to do something. And then I think we're going to find some place to go for like maybe dinner and some sort of like public thing, someplace, uh, where people can easily come and join us. I had a couple of people message me and ask where I don't know yet, but keep messaging me because I'm going to have that as sort of the list of people to let know when we do know. 
and it'll be some place you know where we can easily just hang out and uh, hang out for a few hours and do a little meetup sort of thing, I guess. Right on. Sounds good. It should be fun. And hopefully you'll be there and not yeah, under arrest someplace. Yeah, hopefully I'll be there. <laughs> you don't want me driving you around? Uh, no. Probably not even, even though I've done it before and I can do it. I'm capable. Well, it just seems like a headache to go and rent a car and everything. Graham can have that all done already and just like pick us up. Bing, bang, boom. Actually, I had to have an international driver's license before too, so you might need that. How do you get that? I don't remember. It was like 33 years ago, 32 years ago, 33 years ago. I was eight. Yeah. Just a piece of paper, really. It wasn't anything fancy. I don't even know. Maybe you don't need them anymore. I don't know. Maybe like my Canadian one, just like it's good enough in the States, maybe that's good enough in Europe and the UK now. I don't know. There you have it. There you have it. Well, I didn't get that driver's license. And then, of course, we're in... Uh, in Egypt for a while. And then uh, I'm still, I've, so I think I've narrowed it down to three places to stop in on the way home. And the top of the list are Amsterdam, Athens, or Rome. So I'm just sort of collecting some well, general feedback from people on uh, where they think is best, especially considering the it is one, the end of November, uh, Amsterdam. Which I'm thinking might be a little cold and dark by the end of November, but I need to hear from some people that maybe live there, have been there. Athens looks like it's in a pretty good spot, and so does Rome. I'm concerned with those two places. I might not be able to speak the language. Well, I definitely can't. So it's like, how good is it just being able to speak English there? Yeah, yeah. Um, why don't you wait until we have um, somebody on our other show who's coming up and he, I'm just looking for my notes here. I was just looking at this today. He's got a, he's got a book or a course or something on ancient uh, Greece, the new ancient Greece or something. Um, Michael, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, oh, there's probably some cool info, stuff to see in Greece. But I, I mean, bet. it'll be fantastic to talk to this person who's kind of got like revived this sort of talk about ancient Greece, right? Because Greece is. What do they speak in Greece? Greek? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Greek, yeah. I've had to pull, I've had my Greek alphabet list open on my laptop because I have to translate all these Greek words in one of the books I'm reading. It's... Interesting. So anyway, if you have any feedback on any of those places, I'd love to hear it. Or uh, if you live in one of them or, you know, let me know where you think is cool. Because I don't know if I'll get, when I'll get over there again. So I'm just going to take the extra few days and sort of take my time getting back home. So what do you got? What have you been up to? We had a block well, party here he, yesterday. Some guy almost choked to death. He got the what? Heimlich maneuver. Yeah, it was crazy. No. What did he choke on? I don't know. I was kind of not paying attention until it was like in the thick of it. Wow. And then by then everyone was... Uh, Is that why I heard the ambulance last night? Maybe? I don't think so. You didn't I don't think you? there's an ambulance. The block party was pretty lit though. There's was like a DJ and some fire dancers. Wow, what? Really? That was crazy. I was pretty impressed. I heard fireworks coming from over there. There was, was fireworks at the beach because it was the Lake oh. Fest yesterday, too. We went down to the Lake Fest. The wind blew all the tents over. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> but we went down, had a, had a good time, bought some earrings from a communist, which is weird. Wow. Yeah. Really? Did they? An well, I think they communist? were a communist. They had a bunch of Karl Marx books for sale. Wow. And some earrings. 
Let the, wow. <laughs> Madison liked the earrings, so I bought her some earrings. And went and ate at the food trucks, and our local uh, politician was there. Oh, really? I wow. just kept my distance. It didn't seem like the time or the place to start talking about lockdowns, but I would like to have a chat with her about that at some point, but not when there's a bunch of kids around. But no, it was a good day until the choking part, and then... We just kind of left after that anyway, because it was like 11. I mean, the kids were having a ton of fun dancing and doing cartwheels. There's kids everywhere. But uh, by then, uh, everyone's starting to get a little drunk and just, you know, getting a little rowdy. Wow. But not rowdy, but, you know, rowdy enough that I was like, okay, it's time to, time to mail it in. I will say I live in a pretty good-looking neighborhood. There's a lot of good-looking people out there. Like, I would say compared to, like, you know— just average, like the average workplace or going into, say, a grocery store or a pub, I was like, wow. I was like, just constantly, it's weird. Because everyone around me is pretty ugly. So they must live like on the far end of the neighborhood. Oh my God, dude. What's with your ju- being very judgmental here? Is it? Yeah. Huh. I don't know if it is. I mean, some people are ugly. That's not being judgmental. I don't know. I just don't think I think of my neighborhood in those terms. Whether you don't? Good looking or not. You do. You <laughs> just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'll work on that shadow side of myself. <laughs> you, you've been complaining. You were just complaining about your neighborhood for like 10 minutes before we started recording. Yeah, that's a completely different aspect. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate them because they're ugly. I'm just saying. It's not even that, that. It's just a lot of old people, I guess. Around my side of the neighborhood, it seems like everyone's like 50s and 60s. Whereas a bunch of young, hip people must have come over from the other side of the neighborhood. I must be living on the wrong side of the neighborhood. If I was over there. Seems like all the kids around me are a little older, too. Like... My kids haven't met any of the kids they met last night. All the kids that are their age. All the kids around here, like in the houses all around minor, I'd say like, I mean, some of them are just starting to drive, it seems like, or they're right on that cusp of driving. I'd say like 15 to 17 age. Because this neighborhood was built in like 2003, so it makes sense, right? If you moved in here starting a young family then and you're still here, your kids are about that age. Yeah. Whereas it seems like the far side over there somewhere, because there's only like 100 houses or less in this little neighborhood, maybe 50. Anyway, a bunch of young kids came from somewhere. Like, I couldn't believe it. There was probably 50 fucking kids running around over there yesterday. They're probably from my area, from my backyard. You're only allowed in here if you live in my clothes. Oh, wow. So it's like from those, like, where you turn right off of that one road in here. Just these houses in here. Wow. I couldn't believe the turnout, dude. It was crazy. It was out. There was, there was easily a hundred people there. That's cool. Having dance contests. It was super like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I just kind of hung out in the corner and chatted with the people I know. I don't really, I'm not planning on sticking around here and I don't really want to get to know anyone. You know, I'm just, but it's nice to see that the community, this, I guess the point is this ain't my community and I've decided that I'm leaving here, you know, in the near future, I'm looking for a place, but it's nice to see if I wasn't, you know, it seems like this is a great spot. 
I like to see that the community is sort of coming together and uh, getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's super important right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was nice to see. It was like yeah, a big good. potluck thing. Yeah, and I had dinner. Then the dude almost choked, but he I think he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was my cute exit. <laughs> well, I did my homework uh from last uh last week. I found the spot where um what the guy the that homework? um the guy that developed the pendant that I'm wearing, the amulet that I'm wearing. You got um, the book? Well, no, I didn't get the book, but I just found in the blog um, where it says that he got his thing. But I also have from our chats um, a UFO experience um, to read to you from uh, Paul Savage, 33. So I'll start with the uh, the homework um, that I finished. So this is back to that uh, the promisereveal.net about me. And it's talking about Fred Bell, the guy who made these amulets. Um, anyways, we don't know a lot about, well, there's a whole bunch on the line. I'm just not going to spend an hour reading, reading it. Uh, but have you um, read at least most of it before you're re wearing his pendant and bringing his energy into your, um, um, yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a defensive answer. I feel like, <laughs> it's like my ex-wife, it's fine. <laughs> 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 I don't need to explain myself to you. I'm fine with it. Because <laughs> I was Go wearing ahead. that one crystal that somebody sent us, and I stopped because I was just like, yeah, I don't really know anything about this. Well, you could cleanse it first. I mean, Can you? Is that all it takes? Yeah. Well, with a normal, just with a basic crystal. I mean, I'm not sure about a crazy shaped. I don't know which like one this. it was. It's somebody sent it. Materials, but if it's just a crystal, yeah, it's pretty easy to cleanse. Man, it doesn't matter what it is anymore, even if it's like some weird, like bad luck crystal. Yeah, you've cl you've cl you've cleansed it. Yeah, so you can just turn just any crystal it. into whatever you want if you cleanse it. Yeah, that's the whole point. I'm not sure this is accurate. I thought different crystals did different things. They do, they do, but, okay. and not you can't cleanse them all, but okay. most of them you can. And change what they do. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying from what I've learned. I'm okay. not saying I necessarily fully buy into all that, but from what I've learned and the, the the myths around crystals. All right. Well, let's hear about this crystal you're wearing, or amulet, or whatever it is. Well, it, this guy's talking about Don Juan and and the basics of quantum physics and stuff. But then he started experimenting. He met, he met this uh, this pyramid map, and now I I dude, I'm trying to think back. In the 90s, in an aerospace company, in a test cell of testing engines, I met a guy who was into pyramids. Weren't you into, I swear you were in a, I swear I've heard this story before. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but it was just the weirdest thing because he had these like gold-plated pyramids and stuff. And I was like, this guy's so cool because we talked about all kinds of stuff probably at the time. And this would have been in the 90s, so it would have been like... UFOs and secret breakaway civilizations and stuff and pyramid power. And he used to put his, he'd have these gold plated pyramids and he'd put a shaver in there and put like, I think uh, food and fruit and stuff. So this guy says he was near uh, Laguna beach. Um, and he says, uh, while living in Laguna beach, I was exposed to many. So the other thing is this guy's from California, this pyramid guy that I met. So I thought, I wonder if this guy like knew about this pyramid man. So he says, while living in Laguna beach, I was exposed to many spiritual influences as Laguna was a hub of spiritual consciousness. 
was around this time at the age of 16. I was very interested in psychic phenomena and the development of the cities and the powers of the mind. I developed a sort of obsession with pyramids in high school and was talking to a girl at school who, upon hearing my interest, proclaimed, I know the pyramid man. This is Fred Bell's front page image of the National Examiner article. He is holding a scale model of the X-1 healing machine and the design of a time machine spaceship utilizing the interstellar conversion process. I thought he, pyramid man, really? I had to meet him. And my first meeting was, was days later when I knocked on the door of Fred Bell. I was literally carrying, he was, he was literally carrying in his first run of 50 gold-plated pyramids. I wish I knew what year this was, uh, which would later he would share with the entire world. I spent many hours and days of my life in close association with Fred Bell, who was my friend, teacher, and benefactor and spiritual guide. And then there's another painting on this blog here that says the seven sisters painting represents the seven visible stars visible by the naked eye from earth of the Pleiades, obviously. Um, we developed many healing techniques utilizing pyramids, crystals, and lasers. We also worked on developing the promised nuclear reactor and the promise Andromedan holographic projector. The receptor device was given to Fred directly from Semjays, a female Palladian cosmonaut who is now a little over than 400 years old. The history of our association is long and varied, and much must wait for a more in-depth recounting. But for now, let me say he opened many doors for me and was a light on the inner and outward path towards knowledge and truth, love, and the secrets of the universe. He goes on to talk about like a picture of a major portal vortex that they created in fred's living room which looks pretty interesting they talk about using laser light crystal sound color technology in conjunction with pyramids dude i met once a guy uh do you think uh, it was, was fred? programming he was programming p crystals for nasa like literally with lasers they were fucking programming information with lasers into crystals he said for the NASA, space right? organization what? wow he said NASA right. Did I? It only took nine years. <laughs> Do you think you met Fred Bell? No. No, no chance. Oh. Do you think he's a pyramid guy? Oh, maybe. No, I don't think so. No, that'd be too much. I, I, I'll look up. I'll look up pictures from because I would probably remember what this older. I think he was an older guy with a beard, kind of like a Randall Carlson-ish guy. Hello, they used Ram. to work on. They used to work on <laughs> engine, engines for helicopters. Hello, Darren. Anyways, uh, so he says that uh, we amplified and accelerated these fields with violet flame Tesla coils to achieve our our own artificial time warp zones. These vortices were actually accelerated with the promised pyramid systems technology, which is the scalar field event horizons with focused intent. So it gets a pretty it gets pretty crazy. Um. Uh, I think I'll stop there. Good call. Hey, did yeah. you get your bow dialed in then? So is it like using oh. the peep peeps? You're using the peep site now. Uh, Promise Pyramid Systems in action at Mount Mount Shasta conference summer conference in 2014. Hmm. Oh, we missed. it. Anyways, yeah, I got the I got the bow. Well, I can't. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I yeah, I, I figured out. I I got it dialed in. So you're using the peep site and stuff. Well, are you using your sites? If you're not using your sites, it's not dialed in. This is this is super important. I 
I am, but okay. I can't do it with both eyes. I need a Oh, patch. we're going to get you a patch. Ooh, I bet you a listener could make you a patch and send it in. Sure. Patch Graham left needs eye. An, a left, a eye, left patch. eye patch so that he could shoot his bow properly. So figured out my dominant eye is my right eye. It was super interesting, these exercises she gave me to do to figure out which eye was dominant. Where did you go? Figured uh, to Jimbo's. Jimbo's? So she figures out that I'm right eye dominant, but I can't close my left eye. So I can't. And I could. It's super hard for me. First of all, it's very hard for me to get line it up properly because of my maybe my um, my stature. Your short stature? Maybe, or your arms my, are too short? And well, this arm doesn't have proper range of motion either, maybe. So it's really, but she, she seemed to think it was normal. I mean, I just couldn't really get in there properly. I had to get right up there. And then, and then it, and then it's almost like that magic eye picture where it came through. And it worked. Yeah. You just got it. Now you just got to shoot a lot of short, yeah. even five yards and just get the, in the habit of that, that, uh, and you'll be great. Of finding that sight there. Right? And then you just like, dude, I can tell by where the strings were touching my lip because my yeah. lip is usually on the string and, you know, and all that seemed crazy when I first started shooting. I was like, I don't want my lip on this fucking string. That's going to go flying that way. But, uh. I do. Now it's there all the time. Like I have a certain spot behind my ear where my knuckle slides into and you just start to feel your anchor. That's your anchor. So you just start to feel exactly where that's sitting. And then once that's in the same place, every time it'll start to feel really intuitive. And it'll just be natural. How uptight I'm, it's hard to believe how tight the thing has to be into you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's counterintuitive that that string is so close to your face and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I haven't hit my arm in in months, so I think I got my my uh, hit your arm with what? With the string. When I first started, I was always hitting my forearm with the string on the release because I had this arm too straight. So now even I, on the compound, really? Yeah. Now I don't do that. Now yeah. I'm getting like quarter inch groupings at ten yards. So I'm going to switch to broadheads now for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to go shoot actual broadheads. Why do those fly quite a bit differently here? They're not supposed to, but uh, I'm going to go dial in with those. Especially if it's windy, it probably... With the wind's going to make a huge difference. I want to get a good hang of how the broadheads are shooting. Because we're two weeks away. My antelope decoy comes in this week, Thursday. What is, what is that? It's just like a fake antelope that you okay. put up and hide behind. The reason I'm starting with antelope is because although they are the smallest of the game creatures and they are in the prairies, it seems like they'd be the hardest to hunt with a bow. I mean, some of my antelope I've shot at, like, I think my longest was 356 yards. So, like, three and a half football fields. And you were there for that, I think. No, I've never no, seen No, no, that was Miles. That was Miles. And uh, Reverend, shout out to Reverend was there as well. And uh, my other buddy. So. Um, but they're very, they're, so they're going to be in the rut pretty soon. And when they're rutting, they're like super combative and stuff like that. So, um, they're very, they're very apt to come over you, to the decoy. They'll come you right hide over behind to, a tiny decoy. Like how big is this decoy? How it's not very big. I'm it? not going to hide behind the decoy. I'm going to get like some sort of a blind and, like, do it that way. So I'll be in a blind off beside the decoy. Oh, oh okay. And I'll okay. shoot it out of the decoy. Or shoot it from the blind. 
But it'll come right up to the decoy, so I expect to be able to get it within, you know, 10 or 15 yards, whereas, you know, other stuff is probably going to be more like 30 or 40 yards. Huh. I'm going to try and get into elk this year, but I don't know if I'll be successful or not. I'm hoping to. I'm going to try to. I'm going to spend a lot of time the, in the woods. Are you going to do the, uh, I'm gonna try and the call army base in. thing again? Or? Not with the bow. I'm going to do that again, but not with the bow. I'm going to go in the mountains with the bow for, yeah. for a few days on end with my buddy. Yeah. Do a proper hunt. But yeah, I'm ready to start all that. So right you can go on, shooting cool. tomorrow if you want. Yeah, maybe. Um, see, see how good you are. Now that you have that sight, you should be able to start at least staying on target and stop losing arrows. Well, I just... There's nothing worse than losing arrows. I wanted to use the void, and that's it. It's my intuition. What? I'm just kidding. Nobody's using the fucking void, dude. Not even the Indians were using the void back in the day. They were still fucking aiming. <laughs> they so were this just is Paul Savage. I, I, I don't want to forget about this. This is his uh, sighting, and it's from our ufology uh, channel in our chats. He saw a cigar-shaped craft yesterday. This would be like uh, last, oh, only like Thursday, I think, last Thursday. Uh, about quarter to six on his way uh, to a small country fair. He's riding shotgun in a flatbed low truck with dad hauling, hauling a truck for the truck pull. And um, they noticed what they thought was an airplane. They weren't far from the Ottawa International Airport. On the old back roads with rows of Monsanto corn and soy. And they see the planes lowering for landing. So they, you know, they can see these things. They're close enough and you can see maybe two or three in a 20 minute span. About 10 minutes from their destination, they noticed one more, but this was different. At first, it looked like a plane. It was cigar-shaped, but didn't notice airplane wings like he did with the others. And this was a darker gray, whereas the others, you could see the colors and distinguish, you know, Air Canada, WestJet, etc. What really caught his attention was it was matching our speed. It wasn't descending. It was staying in the sky as we're traveling straight down a road about 70 kilometers an hour. I watched this for like three plus minutes. I noticed the craft not moving from its location in the sky over the few minutes past. I occasionally look at the clock on the truck radio. Then just try some basic CE5 techniques and try to connect with the craft and ask my in my head if this is a legit contact to give me a sign. A few more minutes pass as I do this meditation and I go to check the time and see how long I've been now watching and the clock reads 5.55 a strange synchronicity and was wondering if that was my sign. I go look at the craft and do the meditation to do the meditation again. And after maybe two minutes, I look back at, at the clock and then back at the sky. And now it's completely gone. Nowhere to be found. I take a moment to thank them for the contacts. And even though I'm still not sure what I saw or if I believe it, strange encounter, not too sure what to make of it or the synchronicity, definitely intriguing. Last night on the drive home after the truck, Pull was over. We left for another sign. Oh, he took second place in the truck pull. Congrats. Congrats. I asked for another sign before I was going to share this. So this morning when I got up, I was doing my morning routine and scrolling, and I happened to see a couple of videos in my recommendation about video cameras matching RPM of different tools and machines and gives the appearance of standing still. Another strange synchronicity, since that describes my scenario perfectly before, because it was like we were matching speeds. 
Now I'm like most people skeptical. So just to clarify, after seeing the craft, I never Googled or searched about matching speed or cigar crafts. Everything was done by meditation. So seeing these videos without manipulating the algorithm is definitely a strange synchronicity. So that's why I thought I'd share this experience because at first when I was watching, all the questions came to mind. Why the contact? Am I supposed to share this with others? Am I just feeding them energy? And by sharing it, making it more powerful, what was their intentions? As an empath, I've asked multiple beings from different realms, and you usually never do get a clear answer. But when you do know and feel it strongly, this one I'm not sure was it was just casual, hey, a great full moon, or was it we need someone who will share their experiences and make others question reality sometimes. Sometimes it feels like the universe uses us for its own agenda. I guess that's why we question reality so much. There you have it. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Love you, buddy. Let us know when you're in Alberta. Yeah. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the I could probably just look at the books you've been reading lately. (laughs) When the law no longer protects you from the corrupt, but protects the corrupt from you, you know your nation is doomed. That's the first one. The second one. When you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing. When you see that money is flowing to those who deal not in goods but in favors. When you see that men get richer by graft and by pull than by work. And your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you. When you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. Uh, That's going to be... Fuck, what's his name? Ah, uh, da 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 da. I Not got him. it. What? Not him. Blavatsky. No. Annie Besant. No. Uh, the crazy lady that did the seances with Podesta. No. What? <laughs> I don't know. I give up. I thought it was going to be the uh, Fate of Man guy. One of your favorite uh, authors. One of my favorite authors? Yeah, this is for you. Directly for you. I don't know. Uh, Here, let me read this part again. All right. When you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission Ayn Rand. from that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I I missed it. I should have had that. Cool. I know. It's okay. I was looking for a jingle. Well, actually, I was checking to see if there was enough content to play the jingle. <laughs> So this is a problem. There's only two of us here. I'm trying to do the show on the fly. Ayn Rand. Have you read any Ayn Rand? Yeah, Dave Matheson's sure. head uh, is exploding right too, now. Uh, what's that? Dave Matheson's head is exploding right now. Who is John Galt, buddy? Who is John Galt? You are. 
I can't. Maybe I didn't listen to the whole thing. Atlas shrugged really his fucking long. long. I listened to, I listened to most of just it. Just John Galt's speeches four 15, and a half 20, hours. 15, 20 years ago, yeah. Just John Galt's speeches four and a half hours. Yeah. I think the audiobook is 64 hours long. Wow, yeah, that's it. my dad. My dad was my dad's favorite book, so it's just fucking up there for mine for fiction. That one and her other one too about the architects. I forget what it's the called. Fa- I read the, the Fountain Fountainhead. Fountainhead. Fountainhead's a little shorter with work and all that, but uh, Atlas Shrugged is definitely the better of the two books for sure. I'm almost done the Expanse. I'm almost done book eight. It took me a minute. I had to like jump back into it and started over a few times to get in into it again because it did this like fucking 30 year jump into the future thing which is always tough you know it's always tough now it's all sort of changed up the same characters but anyway i i managed to force it through you know it was one of those ones where i had to really force through those first three chapters and then you know i was right back into it but uh, i want to get it done i need to get that one in the rear view mirror hmm. cool yeah, all right. So, uh, Mario? what? Mario? Oh, you got some social media? Bingo, bango. Social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America. News. So, we're going to go to the YouTube channel for this. And we got on Atlantis in the Azores with Randall Carlson from some Russian name I can't pronounce. At least I think it's Russian. I suppose Russian and Czech and like Ukrainian all probably look pretty similar. I don't know. Do they use the same alphabet? Those crazy letters that don't look like letters to me anyway. I think there's a B and an E in there. Some of them look like the same letters. I think it's Russian. Hercules Gates was a problem for Greeks because Mediterraneans or because Mediterraneus was getting water from Atlantic like waterfalls. They couldn't get. Okay, I'm going to skip this. The English is just too broken. We'll go to uh, on episode 560, Simon Shack and Patrick Holmquist from Simon Shack. This is just. To thank you guys, Graham and Darren, for having us on your great show. I hope that Patrick and I managed to at least convey the basics of the Tycho's model. And we are both very much looking forward to visually illustrating the model in the forthcoming video podcast. That is, as I understand, you're planning to record a few weeks weeks from now, which is true. I think we got that booked for next Sunday yeah, or week, something like that. Yeah, a week that. from today, yeah. So the 21st at Noon Mountain probably oh, is going to be it? the live what? Ooh, we're going to do a live stream. There you go. Yeah, You'll see us on video stream. again. It's been yeah. a long time, but we're going to do a video show for you guys. Uh, when we got on that same episode from Ninja Bricks, great show, guys. Very hard to accept this info initially, but they have good points to back themselves up. The book online is hard to put down first because you're looking for cracks to dismiss it. But once I read it all, I dove in again in astonishment because it speaks for itself. I look forward to seeing the Tychosium in action with Simon and Patrick's explanations. From Amber Cintron, one of our YouTube people, people that there's like, you can start to notice a set group of people that just consume the show on YouTube, even though it's an audio show. There's a few, there's about five or 600 people that listen on YouTube. Well, mind blown. Cannot wait to see the slides on this. When you look up and you think 
this just ain't right and someone comes up with something that could be plausible or makes way more sense. Again, the music was fantastic at the end. I downloaded this whole album last Friday. Oh, my God. Life-changing themes to what's been going Dude. on in my world. That, of course, is the Procession album. Oh, my God. I'm getting so much. I told Kyle this. I'm getting so much feedback. People asking about the tunes and what tunes those are. People are loving the Procession. These motherfuckers are some of the most talented people on the planet. You need to check out the $50 Dynasty album. From Drone Dynasty, his brain couldn't comprehend gender-neutral and there are no male or female toilets. So why have two separate toilets? That would solve the problem if there was just one toilet. Anyway, uh, from the, the last one I'll read today. Actually, I'm going to do one more after this. From Based Taz. Very interesting indeed. This needs to be falsified immediately if it is wrong. It should be extremely easy for any standard astronomer to be debunk. Have any mainstream guys addressed this? It's simply impossible for us laymen to figure out. We would need a long-form debate with both sides checking their models against observation. These guys definitely sound confident and the model is great. I'd avoid the magnetic slash electric versus gravitational aspect. It shouldn't matter, right? The paths of the bodies either match observation or they don't. Again, exactly. I'm a layman. That may be wrong. Fantastic interview. And the last one I'll go to today is again on Atlantis in the Azores with Randall Carlson. I was born in the Azores. You have got to visit. Acroresis is 15 million years old, and I have seen the strangest thing in Azores. Animals that shouldn't exist. Strange paranormal creatures. You name it, Azores has got it. Go visit a must oh, for you. Shit. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, Grammerica.ca slash support guys. If you're getting some value from our little podcast over here, if you're enjoying our 561 episodes that we've given you for free, they're all still there in the back catalog for free for you to share with your friends or do whatever you like with, um, listen to them over and over. We don't care. Uh, but if you do get some value from those 561 shows, head over to Grammerica.ca Slash support today. Maybe you're listening to the 100 free outlawed shows we've done too. And you can add those to the pile. Make it 660 episodes for free if you're listening to the free shows. If you're a member over on Outlawed, then, you know, it's a different story. That probably counts for both. We love you for that. But if you're not, grammerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. Make a one-time donation. Let us know that our little show here is valuable still, that you're still getting some value from our efforts and that uh, you're receiving it. America.ca slash support. That's the way you let us know that you love what we're doing. America.ca slash chats. If you want to join our little chat room there, that's got four or 500 people in it that are pretty cool. We don't do any censorship or anything like that. We don't give a fuck. It can get a little crazy. I'm going to warn you. You might get triggered, but uh, we don't give a fuck. Um, what else? We got the audio books over at adultbrain.ca. You can check out all those. Graham's been hard at work trying to update that website. We have all the events with Randall Carlson coming up here in just like six weeks. We got the scab lines. Uh, there's still some space left for both those weeks. Very limited, but there's a few spaces left. Contact at thecabin.com for that. And uh, I think that's about it. Of course, if you head over to grandamerica.ca, you can get links for my books and everything else that's over there. The chats, the support, the you name it. So I think that's about it. You got anything else? You got our bio? Yeah, I got Mario. I, I kind of went through his website here, just took a, a, a bit out of his bio. I'm not reading the whole thing here, but he was a six or he is a successful former well, successful former business person and a graduate engineer. 
He says, engineers are not handicapped with all sorts of limited ideas and paradigms that archaeologists and geologists are hindered with. He discovered that the orientation of foundations of ancient structures around the world follow a pattern, an overwhelming mathematical pattern, one that has become the subject matter of this website. So he's always been interested in ancient humans, megalithic structures, ancient temples and pyramids. As a child, he was always wondering why ancient Homo sapiens had the same brains and hands as we wandered around empty plains for hundreds of thousands of years. They were effectively doing nothing with their creative brains and hands, building nothing, leaving no traces other than split stones and some primitive tools. I discovered that this idea of primitive humans in the ancient past that has been imposed on us for centuries is not true. I'm supported by dedicated and highly skilled teams of alphas and betas, and that, they go on to, to that. <clears throat> Recently, it appears the most of the orientational grids in countries around the world are based on much older grids. These grids appear to point to the same ancient geographic poles. Together, we are a team of independent researchers that have deeply penetrated into the unbelievable truth behind lost civilizations. Because the research is holistic and mathematical, it inevitably covers several scientific disciplines. There are no sh shareholders involved, nor, is any, nor has this anything to do with ego issues. Our team is growing with enthusiastic, highly skilled, and motivated researchers and editors. Our research is expanding rapidly while amazingly mainstream science, scientists with our, oh, while amazing many mainstream scientists with our simple mathematics-based research. So he says our, uh, our recent discoveries done entirely outside the conventional scientific community reveal astounding insights into the reasons for geographic polar movements and their undeniable close association with ancient cultures. Our, our ancient history, including a vast amount of ancient structures, goes back literally hundreds of thousands of years. That's not just an idle statement because a large amount of data and mathematical certainties support it. It appears that the dating work that has been done by archaeologists, scholars, and historians over many decades has revealed next to nothing about the real antiquity of human history. So the interesting part is, too, some of that goes, you know, goes kind of contrary to, to some of Randall's work as well. I don't think he puts as much um, strength in the in the impact hypothesis. Um, I think he would say that uh, there's some other interesting parts that he, he agrees with Randall's work, but I don't think he thinks impacts have such a huge catastrophic uh, impact on civilization as a whole. Um, or the global civilization as a whole over the hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years even. Interesting chat. It was one of the better ones we've done lately. In my opinion, I was captivated, and I hope you are too. Enjoy the chat with Mario.
Mario Buildreps, thanks for joining us in Grey America. This is going to be an exciting chat. Yeah, you're welcome, Graham. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Oh, big shout out to Amish Inquisition. I think they're the ones that uh, that hooked yeah. us up. They're like, yeah, you got to talk to to Mario. And then I started looking up your work, and I thought, man, this fits in with. Well, it's it's still challenging for us, but it fits in with a lot of different things we've talked about. I mean, we've had. You know, Randall Carlson on many times about the Younger Dryas and the megafauna and all that stuff. And then we've had Neil Adams on about the expanding Earth way, way back, like maybe yeah. seven, six, seven years ago. Mm. And that's always been one of our favorite theories. Uh, you know, we've talked about the, you know, the electric universe type stuff. So I feel like your research and your team is doing this amazing work and it's kind of putting it all together. Yeah, sure. And uh, it's a, it's a very um, abstract work. Uh, most uh, people are into uh, more, let's say, uh, uh, not intuitive, but more feeling, feeling work. Uh, it feels good, <clears throat> and uh, but this uh, this mathematical work is more difficult to grasp, and uh, and it's purely abstract because history is mostly uh, about. Uh, kings and queens and uh, rulers and th this goes back and back and back and then you have uh, uh, tens or hundreds of of kings and, and, and queens and you can go back a few thousand years and then that's it you cannot write history over 400 500,000 years with only kings and queens and rulers because this list is too long and nobody can comprehend this so this is ancient history is a is abstract because what what do we know about uh, humanity a hundred thousand years ago we don't know virtually yeah. nothing about them so you've got a technical background engineering that kind of thing um how, yeah. how did you how did you get interested in all this this type of stuff how long it was uh, it was my 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 um uh, let's say how do we, how do we call this um, my interest. I'm a, uh, I have a technical background. I have a, I'm a graduate and graduated engineer, and so I'm mathematically trained. And but my uh, interest was mainly when I was young into ancient history and humanity and uh, megaliths and uh, and ice ages and all this fantastic stuff. But uh, because you, making a career in this, I was practical. So making a career in this is uh, too difficult. So being uh, technical, uh, you can easily earn money on this. So I did this. But then suddenly my life started to change. Some people are lucky in their life to have uh, uh, abrupt changes, uh, like a divorce. Don't want to say I'm lucky to having a divorce, but... Um, this I can say that transform. Uh, what, what then? I might say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sometimes uh, you can be lucky. <laughs> you sometimes you don't notice you're lucky for a little while after. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I had a difficult period because I, I lost my contact with my children for a while, and this was very difficult. So. And in this typical uh, periods, I start you 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 can you start to go back to your youth. What is the meaning of life and all the kind of stuff you know? 
And then I uh, just started to read again in books of uh, ancient humanity, and I stumbled upon uh, the work of, um, uh, I lost his name, about the uh, cross of shifts of uh, uh, Charles Hepgood. And uh, I started reading this, and uh, slowly I started to delve into this topic of uh, the cross to shift. And I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. Maybe it can be true, because Albert Einstein also uh, wrote something about this. And uh, Albert Einstein, of course, he said, mm, it has to be proven yet. And, and this is true, of course, because it's still a theory. And uh, Albert Einstein was more a mathematical guy. And so I, I thought, mm, maybe maybe there's something to it. And, but if Charles Hedgood is right, and it could also be that some ancient megalithic structures uh, could be pointing to the poles of Charles Hedgood. So I started to look at this, just, just curious. And the first place to look at uh, this kind of things is in Google Earth, because Google Earth is fantastic for this uh, sort of things. So do, is, is, is the, the crustal shift the same as Earth crust displacement? Uh, no, no, because Charles Hedgood, um, this is a good question, Charles Hedgood believed that the crust, uh, like, a, like a sort of uh, um, uh, orange uh, orange, orange juice, no, orange juice, uh, like the skin of an orange. The skin of an orange could 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 just shift in its totality, and this force that uh, that that caused this, uh, according to Charles Hepgood, was um, the 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 ice formation on the on the poles. So when this ice formation starts to be eccentric and large enough, then it pushes the hole. And this is a good idea. Pushes or does it get like pulled by gravity? Because you could see where the poles would get more mass and then they would want to pull into the sun just naturally. Not by gravity, by uh, uh, eccentric force. So like uh, when you have a bucket, you you put a rope on this bucket and you you put water in it and you start to, to wave around. The water keeps stays in the bucket if you turn it fast enough, and this is not gravity. This is centrif- centrifugal force. Yeah, yeah. And this force, according to Hapgood, was uh, was the cause of uh, the crust to 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 shift in its totality. But of course, when you start to look deeper into geology and uh, read a lot, you start to find a lot of troubles with his theory of Charles Hepgood. And these, these troubles with his theories are so big that it's just impossible for this theory to be true. But still, nevertheless, it's a good idea to start with. So, okay, 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 I thought. Hmm. Charles Hepgood, yeah, if Charles is, Charles is right, then... Um, it might be ancient uh, cultures because humanity is already for 300,000 years on Earth. There could be some traces pointing to these old poles because uh, Hedgwood mainly looked at uh, coral reef formations 
that that died off due to changes in sea level uh, sea levels uh, and changes in um, in ice formations and so on and so on and he did a thorough job and uh, so but this conclusions of him to be um, just then jump to crustal crustal shift was a little too large uh, jump uh, so again back to to this if you have questions by the way just uh, just you can interrupt me it's no problem sure sure yeah well i do want to get i do want to just finish off that earth crust displacement so so what's the so what's that then in, in the difference to that then is that just the sort of expanding earth pushing the crust uh the crust out and eventually it gives way or it lets go and displaces or how would you compare that to like what hapgood said for versus the crustal shift yeah, it's good to good to go back to this. Uh, Charles Hapgood's work uh, was at the beginning of geology, finding um, um, or mapping the ocean floor on uh, isochronic patterns. And perhaps listeners don't know what isochronic patterns are, but these are, um, let's say, in simple terms, magnetic reversals. And magnetic reversals leaves... Um, traces in uh, uh, molten stone that contains iron particles. So these particles change direction when the magnetic uh, field reverses. And this is a, quite a large work that, uh, that geology did with uh, all kinds of oceanic uh, vessels. Uh, drilling in the ocean floor and so on. It's madly a lot of work. And so they started to have, a, um, let's say, a, a, a map of the ocean floor of, of the Pacific, the Atlantic and uh, Mediterranean. So in the, at the same time, uh, Hepgood's work was, uh, was written. And because Hepgood's work was pushed away, by the, this uh, geology, uh, geology making these uh, isochronic maps, so it was pushed to the corners of pseudoscience. Let's uh, let's call it like this. And but Hapgood thought that uh, due to this ice formation around the poles becoming more and more eccentric, the Earth starts to wobble. And then the whole crust starts to shift, becomes loose from the the crust, the, the rigid crust. It gets becomes disattached from the magma layer that's deeper within the earth. It sounds plausible on the first, and you think intuitively, you think, hmm, this could be right, this could be true. And um, but it's it's has too much problems with uh, settled science. I want to say science is never settled, but some parts of science are pretty well settled. So, for example, isochrons on the ocean floor is, is pretty good settled science. And then you can start to debate about what caused exactly this pattern, but there's another discussion. discussion. But the work itself is good work. And so you have to deal with this somehow. And Hapgood's theory could not deal with this map. And that is why this work 
is a good start, but you, you it, it has to be uh, continued by better, uh, rigid, uh, no, not rigid, uh, how do you say this in English, a solid science. It has to be backed by more, more, more research. Yeah. So what about the earth crust displacement then? Uh, that, I call is that it, more as your that what's what is your th theory or how do you what do you call that? I call it earth crust deformation. Oh right, uh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's different in 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 the regard that that's kind of more of your theory and what sort of you've evolved to think of. Yeah, exactly. Theory, right? And it's it 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 it's, uh, it it's, uh, has um, let's say uh, I call this in I have a Dutch word for this, but it has attachments to uh, geology. It has attachments to new Adams work. Uh, so uh, when you are doing science, you have to incorporate as much as possible. And when you exclude something, you have to be very, be very well aware what you excluding and why you are excluding it. Because some people exclude something because it doesn't fit their belief system. So, all right. Well, that's what's happening with science right now. I mean, they just don't want to change the paradigm. They say that cannot be true because it doesn't fit our current paradigm instead of exactly. taking that evidence into account. And science has become a little bit uh, uh, belief system. And this has a good reason, especially geology. Um, when you want to become a geologist, you have to learn this uh, Jurassic, Trias, uh, uh, all these names, all these subdivisions, all these uh, millions years, billions years ago. And the problem that I have with this kind of science is that uh, it appears as if this science is settled. You cannot change this. When you want to become a geologist, you have to learn this. This is the fact. And this is a problem because uh, it uh, it seems as if this is not fluid. It is uh, calcified, this map. And when you calcify something, you're not doing science. It ha everything you're doing has to be fluid as long as possible. And when you're very, very sure about something, then you can try to calcify parts of it. And I, I want to say something else uh, that's very interesting because we think that the speed of light, for example, is settled science and that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. And this has been for over 100 years, the, 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 the scientific um, rigor that's this is the case uh, and now it appears that new uh, mathematical scientific theories prove that the speed of light is just a part of the uh, uh, space-time uh, paradigm and this paradigm is just a tiny part of the whole and so within this little uh, a, a cube, let's say this in a little space of, 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 of our space and time. Uh, um, let's say our headset, the, 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 the game we are, we are in. Yeah, let's say we are, you, you are in a game and you put on the headset and you uh, start to believe in, in this game that it is real. 
and you are losing yourself in this game. So we are lost in this, let's say, space-time idea that uh, we cannot travel faster than light. And this is just uh, a part of science that is uh, was true, a little part, but it seems to be bigger. So speed of light is just a small part of the total physics of our universe. And so um, to say, no, Mr. Biltrevs, you're not right, because it is settled science, I do not agree with it. I do not agree with this. Science is never settled. And the same counts for Mr. Biltrevs. When Mr. Biltrevs says, my science is settled, hmm, you have to doubt uh, this guy, because uh, I keep all my work as fluid as possible. And when I discover new things, I have to incorporate this in my theory. And when it, it doesn't fit, I have to have a, a very good reason why this doesn't fit and a very good explanation for this. Have you got like an have you got like a an elevator pitch or a summary of your theory of what it's where it's at right now in in this evolved sort of fluid state like where you're at right now like have you got a way to kind of describe that in a paragraph kind of thing? Yeah, 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 it's a good one. Um the work is now um let's say mathematically uh, sure about five poles, five geographic north poles, and a pretty steady south pole. Uh, so the north pole migrates, and this is based on the orientation of foundations of ancient structures. And this is mathematically rigorous. And this pattern fits on the uh, um, on the on the isotopes isotopics found on the in the ice sheet on Antarctica. So let's say we have a, a, a we have had ice ages. Science now says we have had ice ages, and we know this for sure because we find this pattern on the South Pole in the uh, ice sheet on. Antarctica. And so the Earth went in a warm period, in a cold period, and a warm period, and a cold period, and so on. And these temperature rises and uh, falls are sometimes 15 degrees, 20 degrees, sometimes 25 degrees, and this is globally. And this is, of course, an insane amount because we start to be hysterical when the global temperatures of the earth starts to rise about one degrees or two degrees. So, <laughs> yeah. So what the hell happened in the ancient past with this so-called uh, ice, uh, uh, ice ages? So, that, so that's your that's your like that's sort of the start of your theory but now you've also evolved it to the time frame of all of a lot of our stuff is off right like the yeah. carbon the carbon dating the dinosaurs like uh all this stuff right you yeah 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 carbon, carbon dating is, is 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 okay let's say okay it's not scientific uh let's say uh, bulletproof um because uh, why is this uh, carbon dating can go back until about 60,000 years ago and then it points your your mass spectrometer will say zero so we have no age 
So let's say when, when a carbon, when you find something that contains uh, organic material, and it is, we know for sure, it is 100,000 years old. The, the, the carbon-14 says it's, we don't know, zero. So we cannot date this. And, and this is the trouble, of course, with uh, uh, archaeology dating megalithic structures. They find organic material around this megalithic structure in the soil. And so they date this and they say, okay, we can correlate this with a megalithic structure. And we say this is built 5,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. But of course, you, you, you cannot connect these two things together. But I want to go back to my, my theory, this, this, these five poles, these five geographic north poles. And they, these five poles have a pattern. So there's a distance between the five poles. And when, you, when I found these poles, I start to ask myself the question, how old can these poles be? And I have to look for patterns. And I found a correlating pattern on the, uh, on, with the glaciation cycles found on Antarctica. And these two patterns, these independent patterns, fit on each other. And when these two patterns fit, I can say with a probability that they are correlating. So what archaeology does with carbon-14 to a megalithic structure, you cannot do this one-on-one. -on -one. But when I find two independent patterns that correlate, I can connect these two with probability. And this is almost 100%. So are those red so dots say, Are those red dots on that map behind you, are those those five poles then? So it's not like yeah. the five poles are spread out all around the, the circumference of the globe. They're just sort of teetering back and forth. Is that, what it, is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. You see these five poles. And what is also... Um, on top of the, the pattern, the matching pattern with the glaciation graph that I found, um, is that the, the, the size of the red dot grows when it becomes older. And this is also something intuitively logic, because the more deformation the crust had, the more spread, spread this mathematical clustering becomes. And this can be difficult for people to grasp. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 uh, let's say let's m mention how because I don't think we've really talked about how you think the poles have shift, right? So what you're saying is the earth the earth has been expanding and the crust displaces or dislodges, which um, which then would reorient all the new sites that are being built to a new pole kind of thing. Exactly, right? exactly, exactly. The earth expands, and then uh, I, I'm. Of course, I have a, a certain amount of certainties in my theory, and then I, I tread uncertain terrain. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, of course, and we can totally speculate here. Yeah, yeah. The speculation is uh, how exactly uh, does this uh, uh, um, migration of the geographic North Pole? How how does this correlate to the expanding Earth? Right, right, yeah. And um, 
Well, this is a, I have speculation about this. Uh, I cannot prove this yet. Um, the speculation is that the expanding Earth might be much younger than we initially thought. So Neil Adams thinks the, the, the expanding Earth is about 100 million years old. That's his, his take on it. And I say, no, this is impossible, because with the expanding Earth, you are using scientific data. You, you take from the geology that assumes that the Earth has never expanded. So you're using the wrong data. And so this data set is sort of corrupted and used for his, his take on the expansion is, is perfectly well. It's okay. But his time frame, no, this is wrong. What about where the material is coming from? I think he mentions pear production at the center of of every sort of yeah. body, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it is probably that I have uh, seen some uh, theories about there might be a nuclear reaction within the center of the Earth. I think this is a hmm, pretty good theory. And um, this might explain some part of the expansion and another part of the expansion and this is of course difficult because you have two let's say two sources of expansion and the scientists don't like this when you have two things we <laughs> like to have one thing so two two things and this is a material uh sub particles from the sun during the coronal mass ejections and the earth has a a large magnetosphere the magnetosphere catches the sub particles from the sun during a CME and guides it to the South Pole. And that is why the Earth expands from the South Pole. And so, uh, partly because of the nuclear reaction that produces sub particles, and partially from the sun that produces also sub particles guided through the magnetosphere to the South Pole. And there are some pretty good theories about um, how uh, subparticles in a magnetic field travel, because they do not travel randomly. They only travel in certain directions. And this direction is, uh, is only to the, uh, to the, the plus. Negative, yeah. Oh, the plus. Okay. Plus, yeah. Plus pole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the south south pole is 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 is, is the plus pole, and we tend to think it's. Uh, I, 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 I can can I, I admit I can have it wrong, but because I I, I can of course uh, have have things wrong, when you change plus or minus, but okay, this is uh, the, the 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 take of my theory is that expansion is pretty young not more than 1 million years old. So the, the Earth was, uh, uh, let's say, a rock, a small, uh, small planet for over its entire age. Only the last few million years, it expanded oh. pretty rapidly. Wow, and then will it become gas eventually? Mm. 
maybe yeah maybe it, it maybe it expands further maybe it uh, no i don't think it becomes gas because gas would um would 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 uh, would uh, assume that the planet uh, would be lighter yeah, become yeah. lighter yeah but would i mean if if the crust keeps getting if everything keeps getting pushed out and expanding expanding it gets thinner and thinner and the matter the material kind of ends up being less and less i mean i think that was part of neil adams theory as well i think neil kind of thought we were i think neil thought that you know we'd become a gas giant the gas giant would become a sun it kind of it's it's uh each each thing each object evolves into eventually a star i guess in itself this could be true yeah yeah of course Sounds sounds good. I, I I don't don't know this part of of New Adams theory, but it, it sounds pretty good that that everything becomes a sun, everything becomes enlightened, so so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's also some ancient myths that talk about poles, like seven poles, and and they think that. Uh, every 3,714 years, so 3,714 years, the pole would shift uh, within a great year. So the great year had seven segments of it, um, and a poles, there was seven pole shifts. I mean, does that, have you heard of that? Does it fit in with your with your pole theory? No, 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 no. because this would, would uh, let's say, this we would live on a pretty, pretty dynamic earth. And I Yeah, we, we would know a little case. bit more about it every 3,000 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So now, and I, I think this expansion uh, is already started. People think, oh, wow. We are already spending. Yes, I think we are. There is evidence, little evidence that expansion already started a few hundred years ago, and that this um, might be. Uh, when you look at the ice age graphs, some people say, "Hmm, we are on the verge of a new ice age," and in my theory, it says. And a downward flank of the curve means expansion. And it means a shifting and migrating geographic North Pole. And uh, so I think when you look at volcanic activity and um, seismic activity over the last few hundred years, you see an uptick of these two. And this is a, let's say, a sort of proxy of uh, an Earth becoming more dynamic. And this more dynamic uh, activity could mean um, expansion. And this expansion goes very slow, very, very, very slow, over hundreds, uh, over thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. So we have time for this. <laughs> what do you think triggered it? What do you think started it a few million years ago or a million years ago, whatever it was, could be an impact from outside or what, what triggers the earth to suddenly start growing? I think it triggers, it's triggered by, um, by uh, high activity of the sun. And this, uh, this, this activity of the sun, uh, there are some cycles. There are slow cycles. There are more shorter cycles. And there are probably, but we don't know this yet, there are probably much, much, much longer cycles of the sun. And these cycles 
could um, cause uh, this higher activity of the sun uh, causes more coronal mass ejections and eventually expansion of the Earth. And um, and it's very hard to notice we are expanding. And NASA measures uh, if we are expanding, whether we are expanding. The answer is no, 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 we are not expanding, no, no because we measured only 0.2 millimeters over a diameter of, uh, let's say, uh, what is it? 15,000 meters, kilometers. So there's no expansion according to NASA. But you have to look at this process for a much, much longer time. And this uh, expansion um, is, let's say, uh, there is a, a, a proxy for this uh, expansion, and that is uh, activity, seismic and volcanic activity. So we are not looking at uh, drastic um, problems. We are looking at very slow disruption of the human human culture. So over hundreds of years, over a few thousand years. Uh, our culture is completely disrupted by uh, too much activity for our culture to 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 thrive. So we we will, we will be facing crop losses and uh, migration patterns and uh, uh, famine and this sort of things, and of course uh, uh, extinction of species. Which way is it tipping next time? Because I'm like kind of up north. So is it going to tip so I'll be farther south or am I going up into the cold? The pattern, the pattern says um, the, 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 the western hemisphere will, will move a little bit to the south. Yes. So I'm California will move to, let's say... The latitude of Mexico City, or perhaps even somewhat lower, become more in the tropical region. And uh, Russia will move to the North Pole, so it become even colder. Does anyone know this, do you think? Do you think this is something that, because, I mean, when you look at something like this and you've got China building these crazy empty cities that are kind of, you know, down a little farther south, that maybe they're thinking of bringing some of their northern populations there. You know, you got Russia maybe moving down into Ukraine. You got... Well, you guys, know, guys, guys, you're, you're, you're talking about two things. You have to talk, you have to look at, at, at the ego aspect, let's say, so it's my lifetime, my life, uh, my age, and what's happening for me in this lifetime, nothing will happen. Nothing, nothing eh? But the no. Chinese have always been pretty good at thinking ahead. They seem to think ahead better <laughs> than the rest of us. Yeah, the, you real have to think, long, the long game, the long, long game, yeah. The only, the only guy who is really thinking ahead at, at the moment is Elon Musk. He's, uh, he's looking for people to, to getting to Mars, and he's right. If humanity wants to survive, we have to get people to Mars. Is and there room for I a think... contraction in your theory, speaking of Mars? Because do you think Mars, used, like, I mean, there's all this evidence that Mars looks like maybe the Earth might have at one time. Is there a chance that it 
you know, or the, you know, like, or Mars got smaller again at the end of it? Or do you think that, do you, do you have any time for that panspermia idea that we came from Mars? Or do you think we're headed that way? I, I haven't I haven't looked at, at at Mars well enough to to say something something meaningful about this, but I'm I'm, I'm sure that Elon Musk is is right what he's doing, uh, and I think this is also what you see in ancient texts. You see this in uh, some depictions of uh, hieroglyphs on uh, in, in Egypt that ancient cultures had some means of. Uh, traveling to the stars, let's call it like this, to get, to lift humanity off our um, inhabitable, inhabitable planets to, in, in order to survive for our species. I've seen some evidence that maybe the Egyptians made the moon. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Don't and know. <laughs> that would be maybe a good way to get away from this with a shit ton of people. Yeah, you need only because it must get catastrophic at some point, right? Like it happens slow, but at some point it hits some sort of, you know, tipping point. Tipping point where the shit just starts hitting the fan fast. It seems like, right? Maybe. Otherwise, we just wouldn't notice. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, no, I think uh, really, I'm not a, not not a catastrophist, and and uh, there are in. Geology, uh, some streamings, streams of catastrophism, but also these guys um, think in catastrophism over very, very long time frames. When you look at a human lifetime, let's say 100 years max, in 100 years, nothing seriously happens. What about like the younger Dryas, though? You yes, know, of mean, course, there can something something catastrophic happening like a, like a comet impacting and this is these are events that that took place all over the course of lifetime of the earth yeah but you don't think that a comet was you don't think a cometary impact hypothesis is responsible for the younger dryas though uh no no. So what? So what about the younger dryas? If you agree that it, there was one or two main floods and not like a whole bunch of little ones over a few thousand years, um, that's, I, a, that's I, a pretty like increasing the sea level by three hundred feet is pretty impactful, no. right? No, no, no. I, I, I don't think the younger younger dryas is serious. I, I, I've seen this, and I, I maybe you don't like what what my opinion. About this, but uh, I have also evidence for this. When you look at the uh, young dryas impact hypothesis, uh, you can you can date this comet impact with a, a certainty of only plus or minus one million years. Period. Yeah, yeah, not the impact, but just the flood itself. Like the you know the younger dryas without the impact, because they're two separate things, right? <laughs> Like know. some something caused like the huge ice sheets over Canada to melt pretty fast, right? Yeah, this is this could be caused by the migration of the North Pole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Because the, when you see when you look at how these how these ice sheets were formed, they are not concentrically formed around our current North Pole. It was pretty eccentric, and they were formed around Greenland. So when you move this, let's say you have to 
uh, imagine that Greenland was moved over the North Pole over a course of 300, 400,000 years. It's a pretty long time frame. It goes slow in steps, steps or steps of moving, steadiness, moving, steadiness. And so this ice sheet forms around Greenland, and then Greenland moves again to its current position, and then you have an enormous ice sheet on the wrong place. And this immense ice sheet starts to melt. Pretty, pretty. But that's catastrophic. Fast. I mean, that's catastrophic. Catastrophic, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And this is immense. So the, 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 the sea level started to rise at approximately 120 meters. So that's, uh, let's say, 400 feet. Yeah, yeah, 400 feet, 350, 400 feet. Yeah. Terrible. So, but that, that's catastrophic. But catastrophic. you're saying that that still happens over such a long period that it won't affect uh, this was, uh, a lifetime. There, um, there, uh, it, 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 it needs, I think, you need to think in longer time frames yeah. and not in catastrophic short time frames. And things can be, let's say, catastrophic because you, when, you, when you build a large city, a large ports and airfields around uh, shores, because most of humanity, current humanity, 60% yeah, lives yeah, along the shores, yeah. build mega cities, and so all these cities become flooded. Yeah, 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 and they have to move, and move, and move, and move. So you cannot settle anymore. So all these structures that were built over a few centuries, because you need to settle, humanity needs to settle, and and grow and flourish, and then slowly this starts to be, let's say, uh, desettled. And what do you do then? You have to move in in the millions with millions of people. You have to move, yeah. and 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 so uh, and they have to build again. But building again, you do not do this within a few years because you have no tools, you have no infrastructure, you lost everything. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but I also want to put in context for people because your your timelines differ from. Um, also sort of alternative uh, theories and as well, even for the dinosaurs and for some of the stuff like I think and correct me where I'm wrong, but, but I think that your theory encompasses uh, ancient structures that are older than we think and dinosaurs being around, uh, you know, uh, closer than we thought as yeah, well. So, absolutely. so everything's not, all the timelines aren't extended, but as far as catastrophe, it is, but some of your other sort of theories bring everything, some things that seem closer together as well. Yeah, you say this very well, because uh, my theory says the geological time frame has to be shrunk. Yeah, yeah. And the archaeological time has to be stretched out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you start to see a pattern. You think, hmm, that is interesting. Because humans could have lived, have walked with walked with dinosaurs. Yeah, and you yeah. see this in depictions, and you yeah. see this in figurines. Yeah. So this makes sense. And there's in the rainforest in Brazil, I think, there's a, a miles-long wall full of depictions of hunting figurines 
with large animals, not contemporary animals, much, much larger. So there is a lot of evidence of humans walking with uh, large animals. And how you, you, you have to ask this question, how did science date a dinosaur? <laughs> how do they date this? Dinosaurs are dated uh, with ge 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 geological timelines. And when geology is wrong with the expanding Earth, all, the, all these plates and all these patterns become mixed up when the Earth expands. And, they, and there you go. So your dinosaur uh, bone in this typical layer could be much, much younger. It is not settled science. And a geologist will say, ah, Mr. Builders, but you were wrong because I studied geology and I know this for sure. And I could ask a question, how do you know this for sure? Can you point me out to a uh, 100% um, let's say watertight paper or research that will say I'm 100% sure that my ge geological, ge geological timelines are correct. Yeah, you, that's a paradigm they can't change. I mean, that, you know, it's in the strata. It's been there for millions of years that, you know, but yet the megafauna, we know we do also accept that the mammoth, the, the woolly mammoth. And I mean, you talk about this, why there isn't any large animals left. I mean, we do talk about, we accept that some of the megafauna were here only 12,000 years ago, but not the dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where, where did, these, did all these large animals go? Why don't, don't we see this? Um, there could be a well, very well explanation why the sable-toothed tiger, large predator, become, became extinct. Mm -hmm. This has perhaps not directly connected to expansion, maybe to some prey that was uh, not anymore around. But when you look at the big picture, you see shrinking, shrinking of life. And... Uh, also, uh, large insects that were not as large as today, but they were about, let's say, five to ten times larger. Is that because the gravity is increasing as the planet grows? So those big, bigger forms yeah. aren't sustainable anymore? Yeah. So there's a very uh, clear evidence that expansion uh, and gravity grows. And then you could de debate, and this is an interesting debate, about what timelines are we talking about. And this, this must be the scientific debate. And uh, I hope some institutes will, um, will start to adopt expansion and start to research seriously about what timelines are we talking about and what does this mean for... Uh, growing gravity, what does this mean for life on Earth, what does this mean for the mechanisms that causes this, what does this mean for the timelines of this expansion, what does it mean for the timeline of dinosaurs, are we sure dinosaurs died by a comet impact 66 million years ago, how do you know this for sure? And all these kind of questions, like, of course there could be a comet impact that caused destruction everywhere but it doesn't mean when you find one thing you have solved it completely 
is a sort of childish, childish sim simplicity uh, thinking. And I'm not very fond of this because you have to keep it fluid, like I said in the beginning. You have to, most people don't, don't like this because I want to write a book about theory and uh, I must be sure about this. But I cannot, I'm busy, of course, uh, writing a book in Dutch, by the way, <laughs> has to be tra translated to, to English. But this, uh, this, uh, this book starts with uh, observations and philosophical questions, and then slowly starts to move into the sphere of, um, I see, ancient foundations and newer buildings built on these old foundations, and uh, these patterns that I see, what does this mean for, uh, for uh, the, the age of these cultures? Because uh, I find this the most interesting question, the culture, the human, human culture. And the, a theory must be pushed to its limits. You must push your theory to the, to the limits. And so I did this to the expanding earth, but I come at a terrain that is not exactly my specialty. And so uh, my theory is, is at the limit. So my book will start to be very fluid around the topic of the expansion. And uh, what does it mean when I see figurines um, uh, depicting a dinosaur, a human, human figure sitting on this dinosaur, when I see figurines of uh, paintings, wall paintings with di dinosaurs on it, what does this mean? What is what is pictures, wall, wall paintings made millions of years ago, or is made uh, a few hundred thousand years ago? And these are questions that I will uh, I will ask in in my book. Well, let's. Let's let's bring your your original research on the alignments and the poles into context with this whole thing. Then, so to explain that again, you you did all these alignments of all these ancient buildings, and you can see alignments in modern cities too. You show a great YouTube video of like how all these streets people naturally align themselves to the north, south, east, and west, so they can figure yeah. out where they're going and all that. So, yeah. what you're saying is you've aligned, you've you've shown the alignments of maybe th thousands of ancient sites. I don't want to speak uh, out of turn, but, uh, and they all align to these five poles, which enabled you to sort of create a timeline for maybe when those were created, when the pole, depending on when the poles were there. Right. So can you just explain that a little bit as far as your timeline goes to on the, on the ancient cultures and if there's any trends and how you kind of uh, figured that out? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a good one. Um, yeah, it's about uh, almost, 1200 ancient structures spread over the world. I don't have a, let's say, um, this or this, no, no cherry picking. And it is not all structures aligning to the pole because we don't see this today as well. Yeah. Not all, uh, let's say, buildings in America are aligned to the, to the cardinals, to uh, northeast, southwest. But the majority, so about 60%, 65% of the ancient structures align to these five poles. And the, 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 let's say the areas of these five poles are so small 
compared to the amount of structures and where they are located, you can calculate probabilities. And the probabilities are jumping through the roof that these structures can uh, go on these large or, or, or these, these small areas. And the probabilities are just insanely, insanely high. So it's just about uh, people know about, if your listeners know about scientific uh, numbers, it is uh, 1 times 10 to the eight, 18. It's, it's, so it's a 1 with 18 zeros. Probability of 100%. I know 100% sure that pole 2 and pole 3 are real poles. Real geographic poles, based on orientation of ancient structures in relation to the Ice Age graphs. And there is no for sure they are this old, originally. So when I go, for example, to Teotihuacan, or I go to Tico, or I go to Chichen Itza, I see... Oh, a good example is Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza, for example, um, contains uh, a collection of, uh, of of structures, and they are chaotically oriented. But when I start to examine them, they are oriented to to the to the poles, and this is, of course, uh, uh, amazing because it means that um, the chances that this can happen uh, by luck are, uh, let's say, a zero and a point, and then you get uh, about six or seven zeros and then a one. It's just zero. And then how, how old do you figure that oldest part of that structure is at Chichen Itza then? For example, the pyramid of Kukulkan, it is uh, pointing to pole four. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so that means it is between 240 and 270,000 years old, the original structure inside the pyramid. And the outside pyramid is made by later cultures. Yeah, yeah. So and it so, looks like it's pointing at Greenland, right? So you think that was the old yeah. pole? Yeah, yeah, to the southern tip of Greenland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we can we share? Oh no, it's useless. It's a, yeah. it's podcast. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Of course, we we can share images. Yeah. Well, all yeah. I did is I went to Google Earth and typed in Chichen Itza, and then when you go to Chichen Itza, you can zoom in enough that you can uh, you can barely. Let me see what I did here because I'm a little stoned. Um, so I zoomed in on what did I zoom in on? Where is it now? Okay, I zoomed in on the. El Castillo Pyramid. El Castillo. Yeah. And you can see it's a, like a cross. You can zoom in and you can see the stairs, yes. but it's very much like a cross, showing four different directions. Yeah. So now I can just maintain like a line of where the two lines of the cross are going. And as I zoom out and follow that forward, it's going it to take me, instead yeah. of to the North Pole, it's going to take me exactly where Mario said, right to that southern tip of Greenland. Yeah. Yeah. Southern tip of Greenland is one of the poles, and um, when when I uh, when you ask yourself the question, okay, what does this mean for this specific 
uh, example of El, El Castillo. How old is El Castillo? Hmm. This is 80% between 270 to 270 and 240,000 years old. 80% sure. It's pretty wow, good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, so are you noticing a trend then? So let's say stuff that's pointing to, to uh, pull four has the similar architecture, maybe polygonal type blocks or pillow, pillowy type blocks. Like, have you noticed any trends with our, our, um, sites that are pointing to the same poles as far no, as style no. goes or anything like that? No, no, there's no, there, there's no typical style. There were so many cultures around. Wow. And they built all sort of structures. For example, Baalbek in uh, uh, Lib- Lebanon. Yep. Uh, so it looks like Giza is uh, pointing at, is Giza pointing at the new pole or the old pole? Giza, Giza is, uh, let's say, the crown of the work of humanity and is pointing to the latest pole, pole one, our current pole. I agree. That's interesting. And so, but uh, how, how old is pole one? Pole one is became stable 26,000 years ago. So Giza can easily be 26,000 years old. What about the Sphinx? Oh, is it pointing at the same spot? Years old. Is the Sphinx pointing in the same spot or is it pointing to an older pole? Um, there is some research done to some foundations beneath the Sphinx that seems to be oriented to pole two. And then the Sphinx built on top to our current pole, pole one. And you see these patterns all over the earth. Reef, so let's say reorientations of structures yeah. following, following the path of the pole. So what were you saying about Baalbek? Baalbek, pole two. Older than 110,000 years. Um, must be correct older than i have to look I have to look myself yeah because i have to say this correct of course pole two uh, i have i have to go to a website myself <laughs> <laughs> so whatever everybody can looks your own website are you going to mariobuildreps.com yep <laughs> pole two 130,000 to 250,000 years old wow this is Baalbek. And so when you look at these immense stones of Baalbek's, Baalbek, we're thinking, what kind of civilization could have made and moved these stones? And the answer is, we stare with our mouth open to these blocks and we say, I don't know. I have no idea. And do you know why? Because this was more than 130,000 years ago. So we don't know nothing about this. What the atmosphere was like, what the conditions like, the gravity, all that stuff. What kind of culture? What kind of, what culture? Kind of high society that became lost in this 100,000 years migration, deformation cycle of the earth? 
terrible period. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, you, I meant to ask you before when we were talking about the megafauna, would you consider, have you, have you done any research into like bigger humans, giants, stuff like that? I mean, is that is something that would fit with the megafauna? Like if there was larger animals, was there larger humans back then too? Cause there is a lot of, you know, uh, myths about yeah. giants and probably yes probably yes because they're ancient texts as well yeah also the bible mentions there were once giants on earth just it it, it says there does it mean uh literally or does it is is it meant metaphorically giant but i mean maybe we maybe they were moving megalithic blocks because the gravity was different too i mean maybe that you know just a giant because i mean there's always the argument oh that they're still not strong enough to move blocks but i mean yeah if we can yeah. move maybe they can move in in relativeness to what we can move today because they're just bigger and this could solve part of the problem but for a uh, let's say a thousand ton block this is um five 500 SUVs? <laughs> How do you do this? Even when you're a giant. Well, because gra- to- maybe maybe the gravity was different. Maybe it wasn't, you know, it didn't weigh that much back then or something. Or mm-hmm. what did, have you have you found yeah, but, have you Graham, Graham? When even when gravity was was let's say 20 or 30 percent less, this block is still immensely heavy, and you have to be immense giant to move this block. So there is some, some, this indicates, I don't say it's proof or I'm sure, this indicates a very, very high civilization that made this. Yeah. And then you can, of course, ask the question, when they are so highly sophisticated, why do they make these enormous blocks? Because they last a long time. Yeah, they last a long time. But why, for for what lasting a long time? So tell us uh, what happens. generates a new question and we are when we look at our culture we start to every culture has other let's say other um, uh, typical characteristics our culture has characteristic to build enormous powers and perhaps this culture had the characteristic to build with enormous blocks so who who knows the answer may may say it I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But the evidence and the indications are clearly pointing to uh, a trait to build with enormous blocks and less gravity and larger beings. In my opinion, don't solve the problem of Baalbek because Baalbek is a serious problem. <laughs> Moving the stones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what about the unfinished aspect of these? We did a presentation with the Brothers of the Serpent because they put together all the stuff from Egypt and also Baalbek and around the world. And it seems like there's a trend of these massive, like as things got bigger and bigger to the to the biggest Easter Island statue, the biggest stone of Baalbek, the biggest uh, uh, um, uh, obelisk in Egypt, just were left unfinished, like half Half, half. Um, what do you call it when you dig a dig a stone out? Half excavated, half just left. Like they dropped the tools and left. Yeah, uh, this is a good question, of course, and you can we can speculate about what what, what could cause this. And uh, one of the speculation you could you could throw in the arena is that an emerging, slowly emerging disruption of the culture. 
Yeah. Or what's what coming if, up? What if all those ones that they mention are pointing to the same pole? You know, what if all the unfinished sites are pointing to the same pole? I mean, that would, mm-hmm. that would give you a hint, you know, I mean, if there's evidence of that, I mean, and the other thing they showed is these pillow blocks, like in Egypt, and there's also similar ones in South America. And they're, it's like, they've scraped off, like the way they, the way they excavate these blocks too, they're using some tool. Like I would say it's like a highly advanced civilization too. Like they're scraping these granite blocks. Scooping, almost, scooping, scooping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's and a, flat and flattening them out, like taking like twelve inches off. We cannot. We have. We, we don't have the te, te, technology. Te, te, technology, sorry, to to scoop granite in this enormous uh, amounts. Uh, we don't have this, and uh, yes. So it seems when you look at these stones, the answer is there. Uh, it's clear. It's all. It's all over the place. It was an advanced culture using immense tools, advanced Long, tools. Way longer than we thought ago. Yeah, way longer than we thought ago. Way longer. And this could also answer the question, why don't you find tools? Where is the, Where are the beep tools? <laughs> where um, are we on the move yet again? Like, are we moving now? Are we on a pause? Yeah, there is, there are some, you, you could speculate about this. And I, I think there are some trends that we are on the move again, slowly, over thousands of years. So global warming is really going to become a problem for America. Yeah, 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 sure. Sure, America has a well, no, but I don't, maybe. don't say America has a problem. But when you, for example, guys, if you look at uh, the the the, the uh, region of Mexico, southern Mexico, Guatemala, Nicaragua, you see dense, dense forest, and you imagine when this location of the Earth was more to the north, it was approximately at a latitude of, uh, let's say. Los Angeles, so pretty good climate. So it's flourished. It could flourish with immense structures, immense cities, millions and tens of millions of people. And when it's moved to the south, to a more, let's say, tropical region, it starts to form dense forests. Uh, culture gone long ago new forest on, on, on top and when they make lidar scans they find mega cities all over the place it's that we are only scratching the surface what is what, what is there giant cities tens of millions of people living in an area the size of Mexico City and how do you do this without having um, all kinds of diseases chain and supply chain supply chain so you need an advanced culture for this it has to have logistics it have to it has to have technology it has to have planning smart people governments health wellness health wellness just name it technology 
Where can our listeners go to find all this stuff? You have, you have a YouTube channel where they can watch some videos and stuff like that, where they can take this in sort of visually if they want to if they want to see some of the stuff we've been talking about for the last. Yeah, yeah. And, t- and talk about your team too of researchers and stuff. Yeah, I have. Um, uh, the, my, my team is now sleeping uh, because the work is mainly finished, and uh, sometimes I'm doing a little bit. I'm the main author, of course, and. Uh, researcher but i have a, a few few guys who are helping me some brilliant guys um jürgen a friend of mine who lives in canada who helped me to write uh, the, the web page in properly english english proper english and one other guy alan who helped me with uh, the theory of uh, earth crust deformation and how this exactly works so solving really tough questions we haven't talked about yet for example how were the seas formed he solved this problem and i've written a little bit about this but this of of course we can talk for hours and hours about this how were the seas formed? why are the seas salty try to answer this question and then another guy john in australia who helped me with a math lab to verify the pulse. And um, he used uh, uh, pretty advanced uh, Monte Carlo simulations in, in math lab programming uh, with using my, uh, my database. He put it all in the mixer and then there were, let's say, uh, spots he, f- he formed spots around my red spots so he verified the results and uh, they are all now sleeping at my team and I'm also a little bit sleeping <laughs> nowadays because I'm finished with uh, the work mainly I'm not exactly uh, not uh, publishing anymore on YouTube too much and not on the web page but you keep it alive oh and uh, it's good to keep it alive because research is done and uh, it has to be it's freely available for for, for people to read to d- digest and what does mean and i understand it's a lot to read it's difficult to le- read it is difficult to, difficult to grasp what does this mean mr build reps so much <laughs> about this and this and this where can i find uh, you have to look all these movies on and and, and on youtube and and then glue it all together for yourself well neil adams has some also has some great videos on i don't know i'm pretty sure they're still on youtube we can sort of direct people there that kind of give you a good visual of how that growth sort of happened and uh yeah. yeah, we had Neil on. I it was 160 something. I mean, Graham will figure it out. Put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Neil Adams great, did great, great work. He did visually, graphically, fantastic work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let us know when your book comes out, and we'll uh, we'll we'll lead people towards your book, and maybe we can have you back on, and we'll talk about your book. I mean, your website is a, you know, it's a it's a, a tome of massive amounts of research, and people want are interested in this. They go to your website, and there's all kinds of stuff on there. So, and I'm sure yeah. some of our colleagues are probably going to reach out to us pretty quick and and get your contact information if you haven't been in touch with them already. Okay, great, 
Great. But in, in, in the meantime, people can read uh, on mariobiltreps.com yeah. and uh, just you can digest and read a little bit and what, what does it mean for, for, for my understanding of uh, megalithic structures and my understanding of human cultures and what does this mean for me? So right on. Thanks for coming on the show, Mario, yeah, for dealing with our great. scheduling Thank problems. You, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Come back anytime. Okay. I will. Bye bye. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. And that was our chat with Mario Builder. What uh, would you think, buddy? Yeah, build reps. Yeah, build it was reps. good. It says uh, yeah, builder I mean, in the I, I, I like it. It's Son fascinating. I mean, it really kind of fits in with some of the other stuff we've been working on. I mean, I, I like how he doesn't really agree with sort of the Randall Hancock theory about that, but, you know, about the the impact. It's good to have competing theories. Yeah. That's great. On his, on his website, he's got like city orientations around the world. Um, it's fascinating. Fascinating um, graphs on modern cities around the world. Like his website is almost like a book in its own, you know, chips and it says right there. It was very easy to see. What do you have? The hiccups? Yeah. Boo. Yeah. Oh, all the pole monuments he's got. I mean, it's all on the website. It's fantastic. So how do you get the hiccups during a podcast? Uh, I'm uh, low on magnesium, I guess. I don't know. You should be high on magnesium right now. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> Big thanks to Mario for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the few, the 1% that choose to support our work over here, our magnum opus. Head over to grimerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for monthly, make a one-time donation. Help us sort of carry that load as we head into these uncertain times of inflation and everyone else. Everyone else is having problems. Everyone's having problems these days, including us. We could use some more supporters over at grimerica.ca slash support. If you've been thinking about it for a while, if you've been getting some volume from our 557 some odd podcasts here all available for free all in the back catalog all there all free grammarica.ca slash chat it's a nice free chat room that we've created for you guys as well that you don't have to worry about getting kicked out of no matter what the fuck you say all available over at grammarica.ca you can get everything there the books the audio books the trips the tours i mean we're doing a tour with randall here in just a few weeks that shit is flying off the shelf right now if you're thinking about going Head over to grimerica.ca, click on the contact at the cabin tab, or just head over to contact at the cabin.com. Get a deposit in for one of those events right away. And of course, we are just, Greg is going to announce that THC is collaborating with us on this Magic at the Mountain event in Shasta, California, pretty quick. So if that's something you've been thinking about getting on, you probably want to jump on that sooner than later as well uh, before the THC audience starts gobbling it up. Greg don't do a lot of events, so they're going to be eager to get out and hang out with them. I think that's it. You got anything else there, Hiccup Boy? No, that's it. Thanks. That's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We love you guys, and we will see you next week.
must ever travel The trials and the battles How many in all